Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. It's picture day, Sue. We had to get some pictures taken for some fancy promotional thing, which means no ball cap, I, I hooded, uh, no, no hoodie. Uh, I'm, I'm dressed up. Uh, picture day was not something I looked forward to as a kid, but it seems to have gone okay here. I know, it was like being in school, you know? You're getting your yearbook picture taken. Oh, yeah, and your mom would control what you wore that day. <laughs> Your mom would put you in something goofy that day. Um, hey, we got a great guest. Our guest today is best known as DEA agent Hank Schrader on the legendary series Breaking Bad. His film roles include Lethal Weapon 2, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, The Firm, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Book of Henry. His television work includes Under the Dome and Claws for TNT. And his newest project is the sitcom The United States of Al on CBS. Dean Norris is with us. Dean, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, man, it's good to be here. Hope you guys are doing well. This is not your ordinary sitcom, The United States of Al. I mean, you play a veteran. Son comes home from Afghanistan, PTSD, marriage falls. It's a, it's an unbelievably challenging concept, I think, for a TV comedy. What did you think when you first read the script? I, I, I thought the same thing. And I, quite frankly, it's the reason that I, I really wanted to do it because I didn't want, I wanted to do a comedy just like to spread my wings, if you will. Uh, but I wanted it to be a comedy about something. And, um, Clearly, this is about something, you know, it's uh, it, 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 it really and as the show progresses, you see more and more. We have a lot of uh, really heartwarming, heartbreaking, sad moments juxtaposed with the comedy. And I think that's what makes the show worth watching. I think it makes the show have some uh, value and meaning beyond just uh, some uh, casual jokes about stuff. And that for me. Uh, really made an interesting project to do. I want to see everything. Washington, D.C., Las Vegas. And what's the name of that place that sells peanut butter and brings it to you on a forklift? Costco. The whole time I served in Afghanistan, Al was my interpreter. Hey, welcome! Let me get you a beer. Dad, no alcohol. Hey, oh, sorry, sorry. No, your son should be sorry for talking to you with that tone of voice. I like him. Um, and it's something that Chuck Lorre has been doing, I think, if you look at like Bomb and Kaminsky Method, and he's kind of moved into this area where he wants to, to uh, you know, just you know, look at and take apart really complicated issues. My mom's about addiction and um, things like that. So it's really exciting in a way to try to find the comedy in those moments and um, also bring shed light on a, an important subject about translators coming over from uh from afghanistan and the 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 danger they're under for having helped uh help the u.s troops something i didn't know about quite frankly before this uh reading the script so we you see uh you know you you get a call from chuck Lorre, or you find out that chuck Lorre wants you to do a show at at this point with his track record does, does it does it matter what it is it's like <laughs> chuck Lorre, i'm on <laughs> It certainly was. Uh, it certainly was a big, uh, you know, a, a big persuasion uh, point, without a doubt. 
because um, he had cast. I had done it sitcom. The only sitcom I had done is uh, him casting me completely out of the blue in um, Big Bang because he Chuck was a big fan of, of Breaking Bad, and uh, we kind of seen him and ran into him at awards and stuff. And he always say hi and say nice things about us. Um, and then they, I, I get this call to do Big Bang. Literally, that's the first sitcom I'd ever done, and, and I've been in this business. You know, I uh, don't want to say how many years, but a lot, more than a quarter of a century. <laughs> so um, to then get another random call after, as soon as they announced that Claus was uh, going to be in its last season, uh, literally then, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, I go, so, hey, Chuck Lorre's looking at you for this new, uh, this new sitcom. And so, yeah, it was a big deal to have him. I mean, if you're going to go from one legend, Vince Gilligan, to another, you know, might as well stick it. Might as well stick with the <laughs> with that crowd. So, if you're Dean Norris, do you do you still have to audition? Did Chuck Lorre call you and say you're the guy, or do you still have to audition? Yeah, I, I generally don't have to audition. I think he was kind of like they they don't put it as an audition; they put it as a meeting. So you come in and you say hi, you chit chat. I'm sure there's some you know, evaluation going on there. Um, but they, they don't call it an audition. <laughs> That's a nice luxury. I yeah, really it, is a nice, it is. It certainly is. Especially at the first 10 years of my career auditioning a lot. Uh, so it's nice to be in that position after, uh, after breaking bad. Yeah. I mean, you have had, you've had a long career. Your IMDB page is, uh, is, is very, very chock full of, uh, of roles for you over the years. Um, I would imagine, did Breaking Bad change everything for you? Yeah, I mean, it changed everything for everybody involved in that show. Um, you know, I mean, they, you know, night and day, really, because, yeah, you know, it was, it was such an amazing, obviously it's an amazing show, but it was also such a cultural kind of phenomenon that it turned into. So um, I remember when I was younger as an actor, I always wanted to be, are you guys, are you guys based, were you based in Los Angeles? Based in LA, yeah. LA. LA, yeah. Like I always wanted to be on a, a movie that played at the New Beverly Theater, you know what I'm saying? Remember the New Beverly? Sure. Uh, to be in mm -hmm. a classic, to be in a classic film. And as it turns out, uh, got lucky enough to be in a classic TV show, which uh, these days is kind of the new thing, you know? I mean, these days, I mean, the last 10 years. Yeah, it's almost so, like we're not going to have a moment like that again, which is interesting. We're not going to have that great big collective. We're all, I think probably Breaking Bad was that way. And then I think Game of Thrones was was that way for, for HBO as well. But we have fewer and fewer of those shows that we all kind of share in common. We're all kind of doing our own thing. Yeah, that's true. And, I, you know, uh, Game of Thrones, too, I believe was released. Yeah, it was. Cause I watched it you know, weekly. And uh, same thing with Breaking Bad. So it was something that everyone had to get together on a Sunday afternoon, a Sunday night or Monday night and watch. And I think we're certainly not going to have that anymore because with the streaming and stuff, um, everyone's kind of finding a show at their different at different times. Now Netflix really, you know, quite frankly, AMC, the AMC didn't want to say this, but you know, they really made Breaking Bad because most people by far watched it on Netflix rather than AMC. Um, so uh, it keeps kind of, it, it continues to get a new fan base. It's almost like a n nice, good novel now that's up there. When kids get 18 and go to college, they get to, look for, you know, watch it. And you get a whole new fan base that comes out, uh, which is obviously completely different than it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I think they, I think binge watching was coined, if I'm not, if I, I believe I'm correct on that. 
uh, for uh, Breaking Bad. And, right. soon, yeah. and soon after, and, you know, Netflix being very smart, I wish I was that smart. Their stock was 10 bucks back then. Um, <laughs> they figured out that they had to, uh, you know, put a lot of money in content because, and it had to be of a certain quality that people would sit through 13 episodes, you know. Well, you know, it's funny how you get so spoiled. You know, I've been watching, you know, a couple of series on, on HBO and Showtime and I can't binge, you know? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I, I was watching something with my husband the other night and he says, okay, let's watch the next one. I said, there is no next one. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was like a teenager, you know, he was like whining and he was so upset, but yeah. you know, we, we've gotten spoiled. We have. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know what, I mean, I still kind of like the weekly thing because of what I just what we just talked about. There being some sort of shared uh, communal viewing of the thing, but I, I don't know that that will ever come back because it is so convenient. We're so now uh, conditioned to want to watch the entire series at one shot. You know? Do you uh, prefer? Do you have a preference between you know sort of a, a hardcore role like like Hank Schrader on Breaking Bad and a character like you have here on a on a comedy on network. Yeah, I don't think I don't have a preference. I, I I think that you know I don't know why, but in a weird way, just in my mind, kind of as a challenge, it is. Uh, can you do all different kinds of things? You know, I remember when we were Breaking Bad was ending, and uh, Brian Cranston was talking to me, who was who had been around the business, you know. And he's like, the best thing you can do is something completely different. <laughs> uh, and he was right, I think. And it's also, you know, it's just, it's it's fun and it's challenging. And you go, oh, here's a whole new type of thing, a whole new situation in the sitcom. But uh, you know, it's a whole it's a whole different craft. It's amazing, and I, I find it fascinating. And I'm learning as we go. And um, it's really. It's 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 like athletics. They're both athletics, but one's football and one's baseball, or something. You know, there's there's kind of this different skill set. So uh, I, don't, I couldn't say I have a preference because I love every job I do. <laughs> so is there is there like a, a transition that you go through from from playing a character that's so deep and disturbed to a character that's a little more lighthearted? Yeah, I mean, Breaking Bad during the time was uh, I, I, I you know that especially the last three you know, seasons of it were definitely uh, kind of depressing times on the set, you know, certainly for me, because uh, it was just heady stuff and you kind of had to stay in there. And uh, This is a lot more fun because <laughs> you're just going on the set and getting people to laugh and you could, you know, it's, it's a matter of, I shouldn't say just going on, but it's a matter of, you know, levity and having fun and finding fun. And we have such a great time. I love our cast so so much. They're just great people and um and very funny and we just really have a good time on the set, which uh makes for a it makes for a great uh, great great day job. You know, I want to talk about the team behind the United States of Al because it is it's a really diverse group and I think gives that show sort of the level of authenticity that it's got. Talk about the people, sort of the development of the show and the diverse group of people you've got working on it. Yeah, I mean, they very specifically hired, I think we have at least five writers of any uh, background. We also have a lot of military advisors and uh, and uh, producers who are assistant producers who, who advise the show because we want to be very... Um, 
uh, cognizant of, of, of doing it right for the military uh, perspective as well. Um, and, and, you know, Rez Aslan, who's uh, uh, is a really smart guy. There's just a lot of people who have both the background to write this stuff, but also have reached out to translators and, um, and military guys to really try to understand that relationship. And uh, because we're very cognizant, uh, you know, of, of uh, making sure that we portray things correctly and with sensitivity um, and also uh, we hope humor. But um, th- that's a big, really important part of our show uh, from the producer and writer standpoint. You know, I'm always curious as to um, how you come upon a, a character that obviously you didn't create, but like, what do you draw from? Like, like whose art? Is he, is he someone that you know? Is he a combination of people? How much, is he, com- how much of him is you? Yeah, that's always a fun question. Well, I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, so I'm a Midwest boy. And Art Dugan is somebody that I, uh, I, uh, Art Dugan's a dad that I knew many of growing up in, uh, in, in Indiana. Uh, you know, the show is set in, uh, in Ohio. So, um, yeah, he's a, yeah, and a lot of my friends who've grown to be this age. <laughs> Remind me of Art Dugan. Um, and every once I have a, a good buddy in, uh, in Chicago, every once in a while I'll steal some of his, uh, his uh, lines and try to inject them in there, you know. Um, so, yeah, I see something I certainly felt comfortable with uh, when I read it. And I knew that I could uh, find who that person was. Um, um, and, and I got to say, primarily because of having grown up in the Midwest. You mentioned uh, South Bend, Indiana. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, so not very yeah. far away, Midwestern yeah. stock. Uh, what's it like growing up in the shadow of Touchdown Jesus? Yeah, well, you know, it was uh, it was a big part of your childhood when you're growing up there. I mean, now every Saturday, football Saturdays were like, you know, religious holidays in, uh, in South Bend, Indiana. And as a kid, I would always go with my friends and we would walk around the campus and see all the big how it was like you know the world came to south bend six for six saturdays in the fall you know and uh uh eventually we would uh somebody would would not either be too drunk or something not want to go back for the second half we'd, we'd end up with tickets and would generally watch the second half of uh they'd give them to us and would go in and watch the game and then the next and then on sunday you'd wake up and the newspaper would have like a 10 page spread of color photos <laughs> from the thing, you know? And it was like, oh man, it was, you know, so it was, uh, it, it was pretty intense. That town definitely, uh, uh, you know, revolves around Notre Dame. Did you have a pull to go to, no- I know you ended up going to Harvard. Did you have a pull to go to Notre Dame? I didn't, you know, I, I definitely wanted to kind of forge out on my own. And, uh, that's a little too close to home. You know, mom could come knocking on the, uh, on the, on the dorm room door, a little too easy there, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so, so how did, how did uh, the, the uh, character of Hank come into your life? How, did, did you know Vince Gilligan? Like how, how did, how did he come on, you come onto his radar or, or it was just the casting agent or your, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah I, do. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know Vince Gilligan. Uh, you know, quite frankly, I don't, not a whole, I mean, he did, he was a writer, but he certainly wasn't unknown as a producer. Uh, he was a big writer on the X-Files and things like that. Um, so I, I believe at some point I should check this, but I remember 
my manager at the time saying, you know, because I read it and I was like, oh, man, I, I know I can do this role. I know this is my role. Um, and I remember my manager at the time saying, you know, the casting agent thinks you might be just too perfect for the role. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've lost roles because of too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny, <laughs> not good enough looking. But now I'm too perfect. I'm going to miss this role. Luckily, uh, they thought better of that, brought me in. I had one audition with Vince, and um, and that was it. You know, that was it. We read it a few times, did a few things, and I think Vince felt I was the guy. Uh, I'm sure he had auditioned other people, but when it came to the network test, which is what you do before you get, you know, get the pilot, you get approved by the network, you have to do an audition for them, 40 people uh, at least. Um, I think I was the only guy that they really saw or, you know, was really pushing for. So, um, Brian Cranston's uh, also a, a friend of mine. He and I owned some movie theaters for a while. And uh, the desert, he, right? I, I remember him describing Breaking Bad to me, talking about it's a math teacher and uh, gets cancer and starts selling meth. And I thought, well, I mean, Brian, that one sounds. <laughs> when you first heard the premise of Breaking Bad, what did you think? Well, I, I didn't even, I just first read the script and I, everyone's recollection of doing this is the same as mine, which is holy shit. What a great script. Um, and I didn't even think, I mean, I think we all, I'll just speak for myself. Every time we got a, um, at first it was like, oh, it's a great script. Can we get that on the screen? And then we saw the, you know, we had a premiere of seeing the pilot. We're like, oh man, that was even better. You know, they really know what they're doing. And then the next thought was like, no one's going to ever watch this. You know, we're never going to get this past uh, season one. And then the next script would come out and you go, oh my God, it's even better. I mean, every time we got a script, it was like, how could they keep doing this? It's even better and better and better. And then season one ended and we're like, we'll never get season two because, you know, it's on AMC. People are like, what, who, what channel was that? You know, it's 323 or something on your dial, you know, on your satellite. And um, so we were kind of the little, little, what do they call it? The little ch train that could. Engine that could. Engine that could. And it kept chugging along. And finally, by the third, fourth season, got some, uh, you know, we did get higher ratings every season, which is unusual for a show. Um, every, every, every season it went up. And so that was encouraging to us, but it really wasn't until the third, fourth season that people really started watching it in, uh, in, 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 in numbers, you know? So yeah, it was, um, yeah. And there's a great story. I think Brian probably told it about, uh, they couldn't sell this show. Um, you know, Vince tried to sell the show for two years hmm. to everybody. Uh, everybody turned it down. So it's a good little lesson for people in Hollywood. Um, and finally, AMC came along. They needed some new content. They had Mad Men. And maybe they didn't know any better. <laughs> you know? um, but uh, they have a description where they talk, where they're pitching it to the guy at Sony. The pitch that you just said, you know, this meth, te this this teacher turns to blah 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 blah. The guy says, you know, that's the worst idea uh, for a TV show I've ever heard. But you guys are so passionate about it, we're going to greenlight it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was so interesting to me is that you know when the when the show first started, your character, you know, he seemed like he was kind of like just like this two dimensional, you know, comic relief kind of role. And then quickly, it just became much deeper than that. And I have to say, I mean, 
it was so, it was so fascinating to watch. Um, you go through that transformation. I mean, it's such a testament to the, the, the actor that you are. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I remember talking to my wife and, uh, when we started seeing the, um, the, uh, season three scripts, I'm like, do they need me to audition again for this? Because, uh, this is a whole, <laughs> this is a whole different thing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was great. And, and, uh, that was the fun thing of that show for all of us is that we went through arcs and we didn't just play the same character over the, over, over the season. So it was, uh, it was something that we really appreciated. For you, uh, what was your what is your favorite episode of Breaking Bad for you as an actor, for you as a character? Yeah, well, Osmandias obviously is one of the great is one of the great episodes I think ever made, and uh, but for me it was one minute when I uh, where he where it's end, it ends with the two uh, you know Mexican cartel guys uh, trying to kill me with uh, with an axe. But but prior to that is one of my favorite scenes ever with Betsy Brandt, where he sits, Hank sits on the bed and, and just says, goes through this whole thing and just says, man, you know, I, I, the universe is telling me something. I don't I don't think I'm supposed to be a cop anymore. And then he goes in and he tells the truth about beating up Jesse Pinkman and he loses his badge and he loses all the stuff. And for me, it was it, that's that scene in particular in that episode will always kind of resonate with me. Now, were you always kind of on the edge of knowing what was going on? Like, you are basically on a need-to-know basis as an a- as an actor? Yeah, and I, I, I preferred it that way, to be honest with you, because um, I actually would, toward the, by the middle, toward the end, would try not to read the script completely. I mean, to the extent that I had to, but I would read my parts and... Um, because I wanted to be surprised when I watched it on Sunday night, like you know, like everybody else. I wanted to enjoy it as a fan. I was a fan of the show. I was about love to be love being in it. Um, and yeah, toward the end, then they really blacked out stuff, and, and you had to read it in a secure room. I mean, it was, just, it was crazy <laughs> stuff. But uh, uh, yeah, so but like I said, I appreciated it because I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to watch it and, and go whoa have the same shock and surprise as, as the audience did. So interestingly now, time in the Breaking Bad universe has started to uh, loop into itself because you now crossed over into Better Call Saul in this past season. Let me ask you something. Does Blanc to throw stuff out on the exact day it expires? Like what? Anything. Uh, milk? Ketchup? Soy sauce? As the clock literally strikes midnight, Marie hands me a full hefty bag and pushes me out to the trash cans. I mean, you know, most of it's still good. What the hell? Food banks don't take expired food. Oh, thanks for that, Ann Landers. Once I found an old can of uh, vanilla frosting, I ate that. I'm still here. You what? Hey, we were talking about expired food. I thought it was relevant. And I'll ask, but I don't want to know the answer. How uh, how much Hank figures into the rest of the uh, of the series? And again, I don't I don't want to know. It reminds yeah. me a little bit when uh, when uh, the West Wing was in the middle of its final season. Uh, Richard Schiff uh, was uh, a guest on a show, and I said, "So, uh, who wins the election?" There was a, an election between Jimmy Smith and Alan Alda. Who wins the election? And he said, "Do you really want to know?" And I said, "Actually, no. I I no. don't." <laughs> 
<laughs> but but Bob Odenkirk is so good in uh, yeah. I mean, and and from watching uh, Breaking Bad, where he was great and he was he was hilarious and he was all the stuff that uh, that that Saul was. Um, this is such a different side of him. Did you? I, I've talked to people who have said to me they didn't know that Bob had this in him. What did you think? You know, obviously, I kind of knew him from Mr. Show and that stuff when he came on to the to the Breaking Bad show. There's one little moment. It's going to be real deep in the weeds when I say this, but there's a moment in, in there's a scene where I'm there's the RV and I'm waiting. And there's bullet holes and I'm waiting to uh, to um, I, I got him. I got Walt and Jesse in in the in the RV, and they have to figure out a way to get me out of there. So Walt calls uh, Odenkirk, Saul, and he calls me and says, "Hey, your wife's been in an accident, and you and, and she's in the hospital." And I go freak out, and I and I run to the and I run to the hospital, and of course it's a lie. And that's when he goes. I think maybe that's when he goes to beat up Jesse Pinkman, but. Um, there's a moment where Bob Odenkirk looks at the phone that he, that he realizes what he's done and he breaks the phone because it's a burner phone. But there's a moment in his eye, there's a moment in, his, in that moment um, where I go, wow, he's, you know, there's a soul in there as tortured as it is in this character of Saul. And I'll always remember that moment. And he's now taken that and exploded, you know, uh, obviously exploded it with uh, with Better Call Saul. So, um, but I, at that moment, I realized that, that he could do some really interesting stuff as that character, you know. And there's the eternal question, will Walter White, and again, I don't know the answer to this, will yeah. Walter White somehow wind up crossing over with Saul during Better Call Saul. Um, what are your feelings on that? Does that make sense to you? Does it logically make sense that it could work? Uh, I think they could figure out a way to make it work. I've, I've, I've stopped second-guessing how they could possibly make things work because they always do. Um, but I don't know if it is going to happen uh, or if they even want it to happen. I'm not, I'm not so sure. I mean, you know, El Camino, the movie came out, and you got to see... You got to see Walter White and Jesse Pinkman in flashbacks, uh, so you got a little taste of that there. I don't know. I don't know if if uh, if they're going to have that. They're you know they have such a rich story with what's going on. They have so much to kind of put together and 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 deal with. I think that I'm not sure if it's even on their radar. You know, I'm sure they obviously they've thought about it, but I don't know. Couldn't tell you. So I was reading um, that you have your own um, craft beer. That yes. is based on Hank doing his home brew. Uh, yeah. Was this some? Was this was Shred, Schrader Brow? Schrader Brow. So, so is this something that um, if Hank didn't exist in your life, you you think you would have done on your own? Uh, no, yeah, it's definitely uh, uh, it's definitely something that uh, kind of came to us for, uh, and we were kind of thinking in the ten year anniversary of the uh, of Breaking Bad of the pilot was coming up. They were going to do a lot of press and a lot of have a lot of stuff associated with that. And I said, Oh man, it'd be fun to have, uh, make Schrader Brow a real beer. And, uh, so that's what we did. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And is Schrader Brow available at all your finer uh, liquor was. stores? We, we, we sold out, we got into Costco and all of a sudden we were like, Oh, 50,000 cases. Oh yeah. We got that, you know, and, uh, it's kind of a limited run supply. I, I think I'm going to try to 
get it back out there for Oktoberfest or, or if not next year, um, let's see if we can, we can bring it back out. Cause it was, nice. uh, we, we kind of sold out of all of our, all of our anticipated, anticipated product pretty quick. So, uh, I want to go back to United States of Allen, sort of wrap, wrap up with that since that's the, the current project yeah. and just had a chance to watch. Uh, I, I was able to binge the first few episodes, which was, which yeah. was great. Um, have you heard from veterans who have seen the show, uh, who appreciate what's, what's happening on the United States of Al? Very much so. I, I happen to live in an area in Southern California that actually has a lot of, uh, I live outside of LA closer to, uh, closer to Camp Pendleton. So there are, I have a lot of, uh, uh friends who, uh, are, uh, retired Navy SEALs and, uh, various friends have been in the military and they're all very, very much appreciative of the show. Uh, I can tell you this much. I get to wear a, 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 a we were, we were more, I think the only show that gets to actually use the, uh, Marine logo on a t-shirt that, uh, uh, art, uh, wears in one of the episodes. And I know it took them like months to get this approved because they don't do that very often. And one of our, uh, one of our uh, military advisors, Chase, was very adamant and and pursued this, and and the and the Marines agreed to allow us to, which we thought was a pretty good on big honor because they don't do that. Um, they kind of keep that to themselves, and they allowed us to do that. And and the guy that plays my son, Parker, uh, Park Young, is so good and 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 very attentive to making sure he's. Uh, sensitive to portraying uh, his time in the military with uh, with as much um, uh, depth and, and and consideration as 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 a person should. So, yeah, we uh, we're I think we do we sit well with the military. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, I gotta I gotta thank you. It's a it's a great show, The United States of Al. It's on CBS. I when I put it on, I was expecting sort of a traditional sitcom and i was surprised that it you know it made me think and it made me feel uh and it made me look at the world from from a different perspective it really is uh a a unique show and congratulations on that thanks man appreciate that and that continues on the rest of the episode so yeah you have that to look forward to <laughs> awesome hey thanks dan yeah. really appreciate it man all right thank you guys have a good day thanks, dan. yep you too there's Dean Norris, great guy. Uh, it really is. Uh, that's not at all what I expected from a Chuck Lorre sitcom. Was it for you? No, not at all. Uh-uh. I was really surprised by it. It's good. It's good. And uh, it is, uh, it's a really, really unlikely setup for a TV comedy. It really is, but it works. Yeah, and his character is fun. You know, I, you know I, I, he kind of remind, reminds me of kind of um, like a gentler, Archie Bunker, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you without know, a lot of that baggage. With, without, without. But there was that one thing where, uh, it, um, when when Al first came to the house and he didn't drink and he didn't um, eat pork, and what did he say to him? He said something like uh, something about being a Jew and not you're not being a Jew and not being. Um, oh, I, I forget exactly what it was, but it sounded so Archie Bunkerish. Yeah. To make that that to, for for that to be the response. Yeah, he's a great actor. He's such uh, a good actor, terrific. and I'm so excited to see if he's. Sur- I gotta believe he's not done on Better Call Saul. He, there, that time is looping into itself. He already mm-hmm. made that appearance in season five of Better Call Saul. The question is, does it logically make sense 
at some point in the future for Walter White to make it back onto Better Call Saul. I'm not sure if it makes logical sense. You can play with timelines and stuff like that. Um, right. As as he pointed out, you know, Brian Cranston and and uh, uh, Aaron Paul did go back and shoot a scene for El Camino Road or right. El Camino, um, mm-hmm. which was the the little pickup on what happened with Jesse Pinkman. But whether or not it actually makes sense, I, what Brian Cranston has always told me is, if if it is written, if Vince Gilligan says this is what he wants me to do, I will do it. Uh, so if if Vince writes something. I, mm-hmm. I guess it will happen, which the world would kind of stop if Walter White appeared on Better Call Saul, I think. Well, I'm wondering if to to make people wonder and wonder and wonder if they do it the last episode yeah. of the season, you know, of yeah. the season, of the show, basically. Sure, you know? of, the, of the entire show. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be really, really cool. That would be cool. So uh, I wanted to tell this little story. So we're getting ready to do the interview with uh, Dean Norris today. And Sue's <laughs> equipment is all broken. And I'm so upset at Sue's equipment because she can't hear me. And I have no idea why she can't hear me. And she's plugging stuff in and plugging, uh, pulling it out. And she's uh, rebooting her computer. And we, we went from her laptop to her phone. And still, no matter what, she can't seem to hear me until Sue. Was- Steve, Steve admits to me that his microphone was on mute. <laughs> Hello, electronics for dummies. I even had my AV guy, Juan, here, and Juan didn't figure that out. You know, normally he holds the technical aspects of the show together, but not even he could figure out, oh, mic on mute, duh. Well, I love how in the beginning you're like, oh, it's definitely coming from your end. (laughs) (laughs) That's something I would do. Yeah, yeah, no, it's You you channeled me because I would have, mine would have been on mute, which it is sometimes. So, uh, Sue, you and I are both big dog people. We've always had dogs. You've got, uh, you've got one dog right now, right? One right now. Yeah. Right. And I've got two dogs right now. We've always, and I, you know, I think both of you uh, feel a little bit more emotionally secure when we're around our dogs, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I want to see what you think of this. Uh, the other night at a San Francisco giants baseball game, there was a couple named, um, Josh Rao and Kay Kato, who brought their four and a half month old bunny named Alex to the game. I saw that. Did you see this? Yes. And I mean, a cute bunny and all that stuff. Enormous bunny. It had to be like four feet long. Like it was not just like a little puffball. Yeah. It was a yeah. big It, it looked like a, like a dachshund. It was, it was like, what's the one that, uh, uh, that uh, Harvey? It was like Harvey. Harvey. Yes, yes. Uh, so the whole therapy animal thing just for me has gotten completely and totally <laughs> out of control. If you can bring a great big rabbit to a Giants game, who draws the line here? Well, you know, it, it, it is kind of ridiculous because, you know, there are people that have therapy um, miniature ponies. Yes. You know, um, it's actually for, um, for blind people. Because the ponies live longer than dogs. Uh, and the ponies have like little slippers that they wear. In the, and they live in the house, right? Now, could you imagine, because it's a therapy animal, you're supposed to be able to bring them 
everywhere. Could you imagine you go like what you go on a plane where you bring your pony on now, a plane? Supposedly there have been reports of uh, tiny ponies on planes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Things you never right. thought you'd hear. There'd been <laughs> reports of tiny ponies on planes. <laughs> ah, tiny planes. pony sighting. Yeah. Uh, no, that, that, that does, that does happen. But I just think, I mean, of course we are all more emotionally secure. If I have Sophie and Fredo with me, I feel more emotionally secure. That doesn't mean I'm going to bring them to the Dodgers game tonight. No, I don't bring my dog anywhere. Really? You know, I mean, if I'm going, you know, like when we go, um, you know, in our trailer and we'll go out to lunch somewhere with people, the the Winnebago, the, 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 uh, fake Winnebago. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll, we'll bring the dog because I don't want to leave him back in the trailer by himself. Sure. Um, but you know, we're sitting outside and there's other dogs and it's, you know, kind of a, a normal, natural thing to do. Um, yeah, the bunny thing is weird. And, you know, and what if like, like, remember when we lived in, when we were doing the show in New York? Um, this woman had, there was a whole ferret thing going on yeah. where they wanted to, they wanted to ban people having ferrets in their apartments. Yep. And we had the woman come into the studio and she brought the ferret. She brought a few ferrets, I think. <laughs> and it smelled yeah. so bad. I mean, you have to kind of consider, um, what other people, you know, if you're going to bring something like that in public, you have to kind of consider what you're sharing a space with other people. You're not the only person in the stadium. I mean, it's, it's just a weird, it, it is an, an, an awkward thing. Yeah, I mean, it is. You know, it is awkward. You got to draw the line. Somebody's got to put a stop. And by the way, you know how you get an emotional support, uh, a little thing vest for your dog to wear, mm-hmm. you go to Amazon. They're for sale there. And they're authentic. Yeah. They'll totally work. Your dog in a vest can go anywhere. Oh, no, but it's a fake one, though. It's a not, fake it's, one, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. So, right. yeah, I, I'm, I'm done with the emotional support thing. You can get through nine innings without a great big rabbit on your lap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are people, you know, I, I mean, I have a lot of friends that have, you know, they're, they're actually, they're real um, certificates um, because they want to travel with their dog. Where do these certificates come from? Well, you have to, you get it through, um, there's some sort of an agency. Is it like your, a doctor's note? It, 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 for all intents and purposes, it is. It is a legitimate document that you can have your dog on a plane, you know, a support animal. Yeah. Like, 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 but like my dog, like I could never bring Tucker on a plane because oh, Tucker, no. you know, he, who do you mean? Oh God, no. Why oh God, no, that? I'm thinking of me, my dogs. I could never bring my dogs onto a plane. Oh, I was just, you know, I w- he, he, he wouldn't behave. You know, he, uh, he kind of plays possum sometimes. Like he acts like he's not dead, but he, he kind of acts like he's, he likes you. And then all of a sudden he'll snap. He's never bitten anybody, but I just don't trust him. He yeah. would be such a nuisance. It would be the worst flight possible. Now the goal is that once, so I've got two dogs, right? I've got Sophie, who's 15, 15 year old beagle. She's a big girl. She probably weighs 30 pounds. Then I've got Fredo, who's four. He weighs about uh, six pounds. Okay. So the idea is that once Sophie, and she will, I don't want to say it too loud, but once Sophie moves along. Don't let her hear. Yeah. You're going to get another dog. going to get another dog. <laughs> going to be on the smaller side. Then maybe we'll be able to travel with both dogs. Right. Isn't it such a weird thing how um, you already think about what your next dog is? Oh, yeah. Gonna yeah. Be. I already know ours. Ours is going to be, she's going to be, uh, it's going to be she, number one. It's going to be a Terry or something, uh, mix, number two, and her name is going to be Marge. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> so, so we will regularly have conversations about Marge here at the house. Well, when Marge gets here, what's she going to be like? So how do you think Fredo's going to be with, a, with another dog? I, that's- he's going to be great. He loves to play. He loves the dog park. Sophie does not like other dogs. That's the problem. So we couldn't get a third dog now. We've got to wait. Sophie doesn't. Sophie thinks she's a person. Um, and so she only reacts to other people. She does not view herself as a dog. So she's yeah, terrible. You know, the weird thing about dogs is that I guess with, I guess if you have a cat, you know, you would think the same. And then maybe if you have a rabbit, you would think the same thing. <laughs> but I always, um, from the minute I have them, it's, I, I go into the future of when I'm not going to have them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's horrible. It's hard not to. It's hard not to, especially while Sophie's 15. It's hard not to. Right, How old's right. Tucker? He's 14. He's 14. Wow. Right, right. Yeah. So you do start thinking. You do start thinking. All right. Well, on that note, hey, you know who sponsors the show? <laughs> it's our, our friend, friend Jacob Imrani. And Jacob, I was talking to this week, and he wants me to explain something to you, Sue, and to our listeners worldwide. Jacob knows you're busy. And by the way, this isn't for worldwide. If you're in Germany or in Australia or something, this isn't going to, Jacob is not your guy. But if you're in Los Angeles, Jacob is your guy. He knows you're busy, but if you've been injured in a car, work-related accident, it's not like having a cold and calling the doctor a week later. How quickly you call the doctor after an accident is absolutely vital to your case. First of all, for your own health. It's important to see a doctor to get treatment and document your injury, but if you try to set up the doctor visit through your own health insurance, it could take a week or two. So that's why you got to call an attorney like Jacob. He can set you up with a doctor, even a specialist, within 24 hours to make sure you're on the path to recovery and that you properly document and bolster your case against the insurance company. So if you or even somebody you know has been injured in any kind of accident, remember 844-24-JACOB. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call Call Jacob. Jacob. All right, I'll take that. You know, every time you think it's good, I don't. And every time I think it's good, you don't. And isn't that what makes the show go around? All right, uh, there you have it. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Our thanks to Dean Norris for joining us, and we will see you next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.